with you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Whatever it is you're doing, um, whatever it is that a podcast is, thank you for doing that with this podcast. So, hamartiology. We're talking about uh, the Greek words in the New Testament that refer to various sins. And um, there's one here that is... Uh, that just has one one use in the New Testament, and yet there it's used very commonly, or a related word is used very commonly in uh, uh, in our our modern world, and that is the word that uh, atheist comes from. Our word atheist refers to a person who either denies that there is a God, or denies that we can know if there is one or not. Um, the word atheos is used once in Scripture. And that's in Ephesians 2.12. There it refers to those who are without God, that is, godless. But certain things uh, go with being godless, however much the new atheists want to pretend otherwise. Uh, They are without God and without hope in the world. So when we say that someone is godless, we could be using the word in, in different ways. Someone could be godless in the sense of sinful or wicked. Or they could be godless in the sense that they have no God. They're without God. They're lost. So um, a lost person is godless, and a defiant, rebellious person is godless. So we have to break this down. Some some of our modern atheists um, are maintaining that there is no God. Uh, I mentioned also earlier that you've got what you might call dogmatic agnosticism, where someone says, I, I know that we cannot know if there's a God or not. Um, and I want to break that down uh, for a moment. Ag- an agnostic is someone who, uh, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, uh, and an agnostic is someone who claims to not know. Um, so one kind of agnostic is the person who says, I don't know and I don't care. Um, you, you could call that the, the fraternity, fraternity boy uh, ethic. I'm I'm going to a I'm going to a party tonight. I'm going clubbing this weekend. I don't know if there's a God. I don't care. There's that, that there's that kind of agnostic, and you don't need to come up with a a an, a way of answering him because he's not asking he's not asking a question. He is um, he's not interested, and since he's not interested in what you have to say, don't prepare any time uh, figuring out what to say to him. So that's that's the I don't know. I don't care. Then there's the person who says, I don't know, I wish I did know. Uh, I don't know, I'm lost. I wish I did know where I was. And that sort of person is the kind of person you can preach the gospel to. Uh, the Bible says, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. Uh, ask and it will be given to you. Uh, so a person who says, I don't know, I wish I did know, is someone who is um, opening himself up for the gospel. So, uh, share the gospel with him but then there's the dogmatic agnostic who is um, making a truth claim that he's often not aware that he's making so he says that i don't know if there is a god but i do know that if he exists um i don't know that he does and you don't know that he does so in effect the dogmatic agnostic says i don't know you don't know nobody can know i don't know you don't know nobody can know and so he is there making, although he, he pretends not to be making, he's, he's making a truth claim about God. 
he is saying, in effect, I do not know whether or not a God exists, but I do know that if he exists, he has the attribute of being unable to reveal himself to us. That's, that's, the, that's the hidden truth claim. I don't know if a God exists or not, but if, but if this God exists, then I claim to know something about his abilities, the nature of his power, the nature of the, the, the extent of his reach. I don't know if God exists, but if he exists, he is incapable, utterly incapable of revealing himself to me. And the Christian answer to this should be, so how did you, how did you learn this about God? Where did you learn this in Sunday school? Do you have do you have a sacred book? What what are you what are you doing claiming to know that nobody can know if God exists? Well, he says, uh, well, that's because I know that you're finite and limited just like I am and I can't um I can't see or figure God out. I, I've not been able to figure out there's a God, and so I, I just figure that you have the same limitations that I do. And to which the Christian repl- responds, well, you're absolutely right that we all have the same limitation, but what you're claiming is that God shares that limitation with us. And since I can't reach God, you're claiming that God can't reach me. And what I'm telling you is that God has, in fact, reached me. My inability, which is exactly the same as yours, to reach God, to find God, to discover God, is an inability that God does not share. God has, God has the ability to reach down to me, which he, which he has successfully done. Let me, let me tell you about it, right? An atheist is either claiming to not know, or he is... Uh, as some atheists today say they're anti-theists they they'll say that god is uh they're against god what if if he exists they're against him if if he exists he's evil right uh, they're they're hostile to god even if he even if he showed up at the day of judgment and said you know come with me uh the per- this person claims to be willing to be defiant down to the end well the problem with that it, that that's sort of the the uh, position in extremists. The problem with it is that you have no standard by which you can evaluate God. Um, what God is evil? What is that? What does that mean? Whose whose standard is he not conforming to? If there's a God above him and he's not conforming to that, then that God above him is the true God. And what's your beef with him? Right? You you can't just arbitrarily go to the top and then say here at the top with no court of appeals above i'm i'm somehow going to find this uh, personage guilty well it just doesn't work that way so in the new testament we don't have um uh, the we don't have the modern phenomenon of atheism where people uh, deny that there's a God. That that is a modern phenomenon, but we do have in Ephesians two twelve this description of people who are without who are without God, and uh, because they're without God, as uh, Paul puts it, they're without hope in the world. So here's uh, here's my book plug. I, I want to. Uh, I was thinking about uh, one of the authors that. I benefited from greatly um, as I was sorting a number of things out. And that, that author was, um, uh, I'll, I'll just describe him as the early Rush Dooney. Um, R.J. Rush Dooney was a, a Reconstructionist author. 
I read a number of his books back in the 80s. And, um, and I, th- I think that there were ways in which he started to lose, uh, lose his grip somewhat uh, later on in life and became a little more um, irascible or something. I don't know. Um, and, and not nearly as uh, pointed or as um, uh, valuable as some of his early books. So uh, by his early books, I would, I would um, refer to uh, books like uh, Foundations of Social Order, uh, The Nature of the American System, um, The Politics of Pornography. The Politics of Pornography, um, well, Rush Dooney was the kind of thinker who would come up with a title like that, The Politics of Pornography, because he, he would see that that's exactly uh, a play is being run. This is not simply... Um, this sin off to the side. There's a, this has a political impact. There's a political strategy involved. There's a worldview outlook and, and so on. Um, so Politics of Pornography has been re-released as Noble Savages. Um, but I, I wanted to... So those are the... Intellectual Schizophrenia is, is another book. Um, but the book I wanted to mention and commend to you here is The Politics of Guilt and Pity. The Politics of Guilt and Pity. Now, Rush Dooney was uh, capable of looking at uh, the the circus of uh, the circus that the evening news displays, and he was able to look at it and evaluate it, break it down into certain self-evident and obvious worldview components. So. it was Rushduni that uh, it was from Rushduni that I, that I learned the uh, the the power of the inescapable concept. The inescapable concept is when uh, when someone says uh, you Christians are are uh, imposing your morality on us. When you when you say that we ought to follow God's law and we ought not to let's say uh, to take an example, we ought to stop um, killing. Uh, killing children by means of abortion, uh, you guys need to back off because you're imposing your morality. Rushdini would come back to that and say, well, this is an inescapable concept. It's not whether we impose morality, it's which morality we impose. So if um, you must impose a morality, all societies, by definition, impose morality. That's what law is, is the imposition of morality. So the only question that's before the house is, what which morality will it be? Will it be a true morality or a false morality? You don't have you don't have the option of uh, having no morality or no um, no imposition at all. When you when the cop says you can't steal that bicycle, uh, that's the imposition of a morality. It might be a utilitarian secular morality. It might be a a, a Muslim. It might be an Islamic morality. It might be a Christian morality, but it will be a morality. And so when uh, Rush Dooney, in his, uh, if, if you've not read any of his early stuff and you are interested in understanding the deterioration of the culture around us, uh, I'd recommend, I really would recommend him, and I would recommend that you start by reading The Politics of Guilt and Pity. Some of the some of the examples and some of the uh, things that he's riffing off of will be dated, but the issues the issues are themselves are perennial. So um, if he says, uh, 
you know, so-and-so uh, in thus and such a newspaper uh, wrote this column and he's reacting to, uh, reacting to a particular column from decades ago. Um, the thing that made that fellow write the column might be uh, a dead issue, long gone, um, uh, long passed away uh, issue. But the things that are going, the, the, the root issues, the, the principles that are involved in, at the center of this are, are um, constant. And so I, th I think you're going to be astonished if you, if you go back and read a book like The Politics of Guilt and Pity and you look at what's going on in the world around us, you're going to be astonished. And when thinkers like that decades ago predicted the sorts of places we would wind up in and then were roundly scorned and laughed at because that's absurd. Everybody, everybody knows that we can deny Jesus and deny God and deny his law word, as Rushdie would say, uh, deny his law word, and the sky will remain blue and the grass will remain green and, and uh, birds will still be chirping and boys will still be boys and girls will still be girls. Well, guess what? Boys are no longer boys and girls are no longer uh, girls. That's, the, that's our problem, right? So we need to talk a little bit about Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein, who was one of the biggest uh, movie producers in Hollywood. He was the big gun, very influential, uh, gave megabucks to democratic uh, causes, was a um, celebrity figure in Hollywood, and uh, the New York Times just recently uh, did an expose of him uh, detailing uh, accounts of sexual um, harassment, sexual abuse, sexual um, misbehavior down through the years over the course of decades, and uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of leftist, liberal, progressive Hollywood types are professing themselves to be uh, shocked. They're just plain shocked at this. Of course, it was um, hardly a secret. And uh, and it's hardly it's it's hardly a secret that that's the, not only was uh, Harvey that way, but this sort of thing is uh, tolerated in astonishing ways in this uh, capital of liberal progressive think, and they're the ones who lecture us about misogyny and who lecture us about our troglodyte ways, our, our, our uh, throwback ways. Our, you know, they, they want to frighten us with handmade tale, sort of uh, spooky thing. What happens, if, what will happen if the fundamentalists get control? Um, well, the, the thing, if, you know, someone has once said, of, of this is a, um, a, a prime opportunity to use that saying, if they had, if they didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. Uh, what what do you have? Liberals on guns, liberals on sex, liberals on treatment of women, mistreatment of women. Um, Harvey Weinstein gave lots of money to Hillary Clinton and was a big uh, was a big Clinton supporter, and she was supportive of him, just like she was supportive of that other great misogynist. Um, uh, 
celebrity, her husband, Bill Clinton. And and these things are so plain and so obvious. Everybody knows about them. The whole world knows about them. And yet, if, let's say, uh, some uh, chump of a Republican congressman uh, steps out of line, you know, and let's say it really was stepping out of line. He cheats on his wife or he does something like that. Uh, the roof caves in because we 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 in this modern era do not tolerate we cannot handle we cannot abide hypocrisy unless it's on the left if it's on the left everybody gets a pass um, people on the right are pounded and pounded again and pounded again and someone like Harvey Weinstein who's sort of at the uh, the at the center of the liberal universe is openly behaving in this way and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Um, well, well, because he's powerful, because he decides whether uh, you're going to have a career in the movies. He decides whether or not this is going to happen and he can, he can make or break you. Well, it has been said that hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. And when we, when we consider that, well, just consider it this way. You cannot have uh, public virtue last for long unless you have private virtue. And you cannot have private virtue, people doing the right thing when, when they don't know that anybody's watching, you can't have private virtue without gospel. So you need gospel for private virtue and you need private virtue for public virtue. At some point, public behavior is going to match the private behavior. And, and right now we, we still have, um, how should we put this? Um, we have the vestiges. We are living, we are living in the ruins of a once Christian culture, which means that we have the vestiges of public standards. But that's what they are. There were, uh, one time my wife and I went to the cathedral at uh, the, the ruins of the cathedral at St. Andrews in Scotland. And uh, one time a big storm came in off the North Sea and knocked the cathedral down. And if you walk, if you walk through the cathedral grounds, you, you can see uh, you can see there the outline of the church, the outline of the cathedral. You know where you are in the church, but the whole thing is open to sky, and you've got little tiny pieces of wall jutting up out of the ground. Uh, you can you can trace the outlines of this once great church, but the church isn't there anymore. It's the same way with um, it's the same way with public virtue, and um, and what we expect or what we tolerate from uh, celebrities. It's People are, people are claiming to be shocked, claiming to be dismayed, claiming to be outraged when all of us know that they're nothing of the kind. You know, it's, they're, they're, not, they're not appalled. They're not surprised. They're not astonished. These are things that everybody knew. And they, they weren't in a position, they didn't have the... Uh, um, moral courage or the uh, or access to the microphone or until, until the new york new york times did this story but when the new york times did this story 
And everybody says, yeah, we knew that. What, what does that tell you? That, that tells you that our public life is hopelessly corrupt. Our public life is hopelessly corrupt because we have um, situations like this where uh, everyone sort of knows about it and nobody, is in, nobody feels like they're in a position to say or do anything about it. Uh, one time I, my father told me a story of when he was in the Navy. He, there were, he was an officer and there were three sailors that he um, uh, met and they were, these three sailors were um, Christians and he, he may have led one of them to the Lord, or you know, but he he knew independently that all three of them were Christians, um, and he came came on the three of them standing together uh, on the deck one time, and they were all telling dirty jokes to each other, each one thinking that the other two were not Christians. So you so you had uh, three Christians. Um, Engaging in sort of uh, this weird kind of, this weird kind of peer pressure, uh, that that meant they were folding or they were capitulating in a situation where they didn't need to, where they didn't have to. Um, now back to back to Harvey Weinstein. In this situation, the the people who are prof- professing outrage are not Christians. They don't have a basis for private virtue. Uh, they don't have a basis, therefore, for public virtue. They don't have a basis for expecting anybody to conform to any standard whatever. Um, at some point, uh, right now, Harvey Weinstein is um, sort of accepting the imposition of the standard on him. Uh, he's being clobbered with a standard. But at some point in the, in the not-too-distant future, someone like Weinstein is going to say, look, these are my choices, this is my world, this is my reality, this is what you taught me, deal with it. And when that happens, uh, the world's not going to be able to deal with it because all of our standards, all the politically correct standards, all the feminist standards, all the uh, uh, egalitarian standards, all of them are suspended from this great skyhook and we have and you can't keep it secure up there in the middle of the air by adding extra bolts god in the time of the sickness god in the doctor too you've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor douglas wilson this podcast is produced by canon press please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform to hear more from doug please visit canonpress.com